Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Good morning and welcome to Collective Church. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the lead pastors. We're glad that you are with us, whether you're joining online or in the room. It is almost Christmas. I don't know if you've noticed. It has changed and we moved from Halloween to Christmas quickly. And I want to I draw your attention to something. Uh, maybe you saw it on your seat. You'll see a, an invite to our Christmas services. We're hosting two December 19th, and we are asking people to register so we can determine whether we need to move to three. But we're really excited about celebrating Christmas together. Here's what we know. There's all these, all this research, and I don't know, maybe you don't get excited about statistics or numbers. It really depends on the numbers for me. One of the numbers is 80%. The chances that someone will say yes when we invite them to Easter or Christmas, 80%. Pretty significant, right? If you had an 80% chance of success, who would you invite on Christmas? And so you have invites on your, on your seats, but then we also have a stack uh, out, out in the foyer. Are there some at the info table and at Next Step? So grab a few, give them out. December 19th, we are really excited about Christmas I want to pray for us, and then I want to dig in. God, I pray that in these moments that you would be the one that speaks. May it not just be about my words and thoughts and ideas, but instead yours. As we we pursue your vision for your church, God, we surrender it all to you. And believe that unless you do the building and the heavy lifting, that we're just wasting our time. And so, God, as we come together, we know that there's something significant that that can happen. We know that you're present that you're close, and so God, I pray that in these moments that you would draw us closer, that we would see you more clearly, see your son more clearly, and not be the same. We love you so much, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we're in a series called Dear Church. As we wrap up 2021, we want to spend a little bit of time looking at the vision, exploring the vision that Lee and I believe God is inviting us into as a church. We want to look back and look forward. We want, as we head into the new year, not to stumble into it, but to head in with clarity and vision. Even as we wrap up the year, we want to be reminded that God is at work and has things in store for us. I read this passage last week, but it frames up the series beautifully. In Matthew 28, 18 to 20, it says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I spoke last week about the need for us, all of us, to be disciples who are actively making disciples. 
This is not a passive pursuit that we are actively making disciples. We have an opportunity in this cultural convulsion, what we're seeing happening around us, to be the church. And we want to be covered in the dust of our rabbi as we're following Jesus wherever he's leading us. I mentioned last week that we want to be a church that plants churches, launches campuses, and continues to reach people. And I want to spend some time today talking about what that might look like. But before I do, I want to remind you of something, and it is really, really important. We are not going to plant churches and hope they grow disciples. Hey, if we just plant it, then hopefully this whole discipleship thing happens. No, we are going to make disciples, and as a result of that, plant more churches. It's an important distinction. We don't want to just start something and, and like Field of Dreams, hope that they all show up. We don't want to just go, well, we made it, look. No, we want to be people that make disciples who make disciples. And as a result of that, we begin to think about what it looks like for us to continue to reach people where God is inviting us to go. This also means that the speed with which we do that is up to you. As the church, as the people that are engaged at collective, that are part of collective, active participants, we get to set the speed with which that happens. I want to remind you that in London alone, there are almost 400,000 people. And according to the most recent census, over 100,000 people in London self-identify and say, I have no religious affiliation. Okay, that's over 100,000 people that say, I have no interest or faith in God. And we know that number is even higher of people that say, I have no relationship with Jesus. Hundreds of thousands of people around us that do not yet know Jesus. And that bothers us. As a church, it bothers us a lot. And not just because it's a number. Like, yes, that number is significant. But we don't just look at the number and go, wow, that's a large amount of people. It bothers us because there are friends, there are neighbors, there are coworkers, our family, like when we picture that 100,000 plus, we have, we have faces that come to mind. There are people that we go, man, I know someone that doesn't yet know Jesus. I, I know and I care about them. I love them. Should bother us because we care about people. And we want to be a church that reaches people. People that aren't currently being reached by the church. People that, are, that haven't yet experienced Jesus. But how do we do that? How do we, see, what can happen is we imagine all these people or our neighbors and we're like, I don't know where to start, I don't know what to do, and I want to suggest that there's some clear things that we can do. Missiologist C. Peter Wagner says this, planting new churches is the most effective evangelistic methodology known under heaven. So if we want to reach people that are not Christians, According to Peter Wagner and tons of research, the best way to do it is through planting new churches. This is why we planted Collective Church two years ago. For Lee and I, we sat in Calgary and were reminded of our family back in Ontario and, and picturing all of the people that didn't yet know Jesus. And I sat in our basement reading the stat I just mentioned of the 100,000 plus people and I cried. And I, I don't know what you're like, but I don't typically cry with numbers. And yet I was burdened because I was thinking there are all these people and we can do something about it. 
Because the pattern for us as Christians or as humans is going like, yeah, that's a problem. Hopefully someone else figures that out. And so for us as the church, we gathered people that were like-minded, that were passionate, reaching people, and continued to build and launch what became Collective Church. If we are to continue to reach people, we need to be thinking about what this would look like. And if we want to reach people, I believe that our strategy as a church needs to be twofold. It needs to be two things, one that leads into the other. The first I mentioned, we need to actually be disciples who make disciples. That can't just be something that we're like, that would be a good idea at some point. I should do that once I'm perfect and have it all figured out. And once I have all the right answers and I feel prepared. Problem is that never comes. I've never felt fully prepared for anything. Every time God's invited me to step out, I always need him. I can't go like, I've got it from here, God, I'll take it. But when we go, I'll do that at some point when I've actually figured it out, that's functionally what we're saying. We need to actually be disciples who make disciples. And as a result of that, we do need to think about planting new churches and we need to be active in our pursuit of planting new churches. Those things need to go hand in hand. I want us to look at a passage from Acts where we see a snapshot of the Apostle Paul as he is continuing to reach people and plant churches and make disciples. I'm going to read from Acts 14, but before I do, I wanted to set up what brought us to Acts 14. In Acts 13, at the end, we see Paul and Barnabas, and they went out and they're telling people all about the gospel. The good news of Jesus, they're declaring to this group of people about what Jesus has come to offer. And some of the Jewish leaders at this point, as was typically a pattern in Jesus's life and in the disciples' life, they weren't happy about this. They weren't pumped. They weren't excited. Finally, we get to hear about the Messiah. No, they were bothered and upset. In fact, in Acts 13, we actually find that they're jealous And their jealousy causes them to quarrel and and, and try to argue against everything that Paul and Barnabas said. You know when people are talking and and they're like, I don't know why they are hating. They're just just so jealous of me. Like, you know when people talk and it's like, I wonder what their problem is. The person's like, I know exactly what it is. They're just jealous. And most of the time you're like, of what? Like, what are they looking at in your life going, I'm so jealous of you. Maybe you're just a jerk. But in this case, we actually see this. We see this group of of Jewish people that are jealous. They're jealous because Paul and Barnabas are engaging people. That there are people that that are attracted to what they're saying. That there are people that are being drawn into it. And there's a degree of these Jewish people going, I want that. Why can't I do that in my life? Why can't I share a message that would impact? And so rather than going, maybe there's something to the message, you're like, we're going to attack you. We're going to make sure that you know that you are the worst. We're going to slander you and argue against you. We're going to go at you. And as a result of that, if you know anything about Paul, his response isn't, uh, okay, well, that's uncomfortable. I'll move on. He's actually emboldened. It actually fires him up. It emboldens Paul and Barnabas to keep going. This is important for us to to remember as Christians. If you're in the room or you're online and you would call yourself a Jesus follower, it's important for us to understand 
that when we follow Jesus and when we go where he's asking us to go, we will face opposition. We will face challenges. And if we choose our mindset, we can actually look at that and go, that's a sign we're on the right track. Like Paul and Barnabas didn't go, oh, woe is me. Why is this happening to me, though? There are times that I do that. No, they went, okay, keep going, double down. And I think that's the invitation for us. See, sometimes we buy into the lie that if we follow Jesus, it should be easy. But we don't find that anywhere in Scripture. There's nowhere that we can line that up with and go, oh, I see Jesus talking about that. It's usually the opposite. In fact, it's always the opposite. And so for Paul and Barnabas, it emboldened them to share this message of Jesus. And it wasn't just a message for Jewish people. This is significant that Paul and Barnabas were sharing this message to Jewish and Gentiles. A Gentile is anyone who is not Jewish. So if you're in the room or you're online and you are not Jewish, you are a Gentile. And so Paul and Barnabas are declaring this message of Jesus, the hope of Jesus is for everyone. This is good news for us that are not Jewish. We hear that and we go, man, I'm so grateful for that. And the people at this time were incredibly grateful. They're happy about this, that they could have restoration with God through Jesus, that they had access to that. And as a result of this activity, in the midst of challenges, the message of Jesus spread throughout that region. And in Acts 14, 1-7, it says this, The same thing happened in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of Jews and Greeks became believers. Some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against Paul and Barnabas. Notice that, that line, that, that some of the Jews, however, spurned God's message and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles. The very people that this was good news for, they're actively adversarial with. What we see here is, is we see formation and counterformation. And I want us to spend significant time in the New Year talking about what that looks like. But we see people that are formed. So they're formed by this message of Jesus beginning to shape their, could it be true? Is this reality? Do I have hope? And then we have a group of people that are counterforming, that are going, we want to poison their minds. We want to let them know that's not true. We want to, we want to, Poison is insidious, and so we want to use our words to, to break things down and to cause destruction from within. Some of us don't spend a lot of time thinking about how we're formed, and we don't think a lot about how our minds are poisoned on a regular basis, the voices that are poisoning our minds. Maybe it's on social media, it's the caustic elements of Twitter. Like, have you ever been on Twitter lately? I have to have a shower after because I'm like, I'm like, people are nasty. It's like we've forgotten that there's another human who is a value on the other side of a device. And so people just go hard in the paint and you see stuff and I'm like, wow, this person is just upset about everything and loves to tear people down. Maybe that's where we notice that our minds are poisoned or maybe it's the 24 hour news channel. We never turn it off. And we're like, wow, everything is horrible all the time. 
We hear everything that's happening, and it's never like, there were some really good things that were happening. It's like, this is all bad. The world is crumbling. And so our minds are poisoned to hope and opportunity that we can see. Or maybe it's what we see in the ideological extremes or the political extremes where we go, man, I just see a lot of stuff that does not seem to represent Jesus at all. Or maybe it's the secular view where, that promises us hope in whatever we think it should be, but not in Jesus. Are we paying careful attention to how our minds are formed? How, how things and people can poison our minds and, and, and breed lies into our minds and cause us to actually not see Jesus, but see something else. We are always being formed. We are constantly, by whatever voices that we're allowing to speak into our life, being formed. And the reality is that our life will be formed by the strongest voices. So what's the strongest voice in your mind? In your life, who represents the strongest voices? Or is, is it some that I mentioned? Is it Jesus? Is it a community of Jesus followers? Which force are we allowing to be the strongest in our mind? Paul and Barnabas are trying to tell people that desperately need it about Jesus, and they are facing resistance. But the apostles stayed there a long time, preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. And the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miraculous signs and wonders. But the people of the town were divided in their opinion about them. Some sided with the Jews, and some with the apostles. So notice what's happening here. The apostles are preaching boldly about the grace of the Lord. Like this is a phenomenal message. They are preaching boldly. And beyond that, it's not just about words. They're actually seeing God's power on display, signs and wonders, miracles, things that are, that are signposts to the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. They are seeing things happening all around them that go, this is for real. The grace of God is better than we expected. God is here. Jesus offers us a way. And even with all of that, all this amazing stuff, what happens? People were still divided. People saw all of this and there was still division. I think sometimes we have this idea as Christians and we hesitate to share it, but our life shows it where we think if we can just remain neutral on just about everything that we'll kind of avoid it all. Like I can really just skate through and avoid any kind of tension and I, I love Jesus but that's just for me and I'll just avoid all of it. But here's the reality. As we follow Jesus and people see, it, see Jesus through us, as our life is transformed by the character of Christ, as we actually become more and more like Jesus, some people will be drawn to us. They'll be going, I don't know what you've got, but I want it. But the truth is there will be other people that will be repelled by us. That there is no neutrality when we're actually following Jesus. That there is a degree that people will go, I want nothing to do with that or tell me more. It's this reminder for us that as we're actually following Jesus, that there is a response that our presence elicits. In this scenario, we see this group of people, even though they're being told that this is good news, they're still divided. 
So this group of people that are hearing the message are divided, and yet what we see in Paul and Barnabas is that they are determined. This speaks to what I hope we feel, and there are many moments that I feel this in 2021 where I see all the division. I see all the divided nature, and I see how much of that, too, around the church, where there are people that are drawn to the church and the beauty of the church, recognizing that it is not perfect, but wanting to build and make it better and and actually be part of a solution. And then there's other people that go, I just want to tear it down. I just want to have my way, build my own kingdom, that there's all this division, and yet as a church And as leaders and as part of the team here, we are more determined that there is this profound sense that we have work to do. People all around us that aren't Christians have this view and vision of utopia. And some of it's built around Christian ideas, things that are central and that only happen because of the spread of Christianity. But what we see is a group of people that go, I want all of that without Jesus. Mark Sayers talks about it, and he says, people want the kingdom and all that comes with it without the king. I want all the benefits. I want the benefits of what Jesus offers. I kind of like his teaching, but I don't want to surrender to him. I don't want to actually allow him to lead me and guide me. I don't want to give my life over. This obedience and surrender to Jesus is part of the deal. It's a significant part of the deal. And so in this passage, we see Paul and Barnabas telling about the message of Jesus, using every single opportunity to tell people about Jesus. And they're demonstrating power and people are divided. And what happens as a result of this, where they're they're simply doing everything that they should be doing? Verse 5 tells us, then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decide to, to attack and stone them. Okay, think about this. So what do they get for all their trouble? Stoning. Like, have you ever had these moments where you're like, God, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. How come I'm facing all this opposition? How come I'm feeling all this pressure? How come I'm I'm feeling all this tension? How come it feels like people are throwing rocks at me? If we feel like that, when we look at Paul and Barnabas, we realize I might actually be in good company. And there are so many times, and I find it, where I feel sorry for myself, where I'm like, I'm, I'm just, I'm really trying to actually go, Jesus, what do you want? And, and give it all and entrust him to, to change and challenge all of my thinking. And then you face all this opposition, and you're like, I don't want that. <laughs> like, I thought it's supposed to be easy. Again, the problem is if we actually read the Bible, we'll see there's no precedent for that. Like, if you look at the disciples of Jesus, their life is not rosy and sunny as they proclaim the message of Jesus. When we face, when we actually are following Jesus, we will inevitably face opposition. Then a mob of Gentiles and Jews, along with their leaders, decided to attack and stone them. When the apostles learned of it, they fled to the region of Lycaonia, to the towns of Lystra and Derbe and the surrounding areas. And there they preached the good news. I want to really zero in on that, verse 7. And there they preached the good news. Paul and Barnabas are facing 
an attack. And because of that, because they hear what's happening, they are scattered. And yet, even though they are scattered, and while they are scattered, they continue to make disciples and build the church. Now, I want to bring that into 2021 as we think about it. Like, for example, individually, we have been scattered over the last couple of years. We've had moments where we were at home only, and we were stuck, and so we were scattered and positioned in different places. And verse 7, and there they preach the good news. When we're scattered and when we're at home, and there we preach the good news. As a church, we've been scattered through COVID, and there they preached the good news. Have you ever noticed this pattern with Jesus or with God? Like, I like a measure of control. I'm like, hey, God, let me tell you how I think this should go. And uh, I've noticed that God is not concerned with that. <laughs> that God's not like, hey, Tyler, so uh, I know, like, I'm God and you're not. But, you know, like, what do you think about uh, being God? That doesn't happen. And yet that's how I operate sometimes because I'm like, God, if I want to do this and so if you can just take it from here, that'd be great. God rarely shows up in the way that I plan for and expect 100% of the time. There are often times that I see where I go, I thought it'd be like this and I thought you should work like this and God goes, I actually want to do something different and better than you expect. When we planted Collective, I was not thinking, you know what I really hope? There's a global pandemic that shuts us down six months in. I'm really hoping, because man, the opportunities for this. No, it happened and I was like, why? And yet we see the pattern that God lays out where he continues to build his church. He continues to use situations that do not make sense, like people getting stoned and attacked and run out of towns to continue to engage people with the message of Jesus. As we are scattered as the church, God continues to use it to engage people. I want to I tease that out even for us specifically. Like, for example, I did not want to do video, okay? If you're in the room or you're watching online, you can tell we are now doing video, and part of that was my own stuff where I'm like, I don't want to just make it about me and try to build my own little platform. And, and, and the other part is I'm like, we're just figuring this out. I'm not sure I wanted to live on the internet forever. And then COVID happened. And suddenly we're like, I guess we're doing video. And as a result of that, even this year, we've had thousands of people that have been able to engage online because of that. So I looked at it in my own little mind and go, I don't really like this. And God went, yeah, that's nice. So I want to build my church and I want to use whatever I have at my disposal, which is a lot. And then we go, okay, I'm willing to try it. And so we have this amazing team that, that established what it looks like to record our services, to live stream, all these things that are behind the scenes so that we can continue to reach people. Even for us, uh, if you were not around early in our life, and we're still pretty early, two years in, but we were meeting at London South Collegiate Institute School, just a little bit, a little bit east of here. And, and it was amazing. We had this auditorium. It was way too big for us, but it was beautiful. And 
there were elements of the school that were really, really wonderful. And we began to experience tension because the person that was responsible for that auditorium was not that into us using them. They were a little bit using the space. They were a little bit territorial. It got tense. I sat in a meeting with like the, a bunch of people from the board and here I am representing the church and it, it got nasty. And then as a team internally, we're like, okay, what's our backup plan? Like, what are we going to do if they bump us? And there was plans for them to bump us right around Easter, which like I mentioned with Christmas or Easter, kind of a big deal for the church. And I was like, oh man, this is going to be awful. And I'm stressing and I'm looking around like crazy. But then what happens in March of 2020? I didn't have to worry about where we're going to be for Easter. In fact, no one had to worry about where they're going to be for Easter because everyone was at home. No one could gather together. It was interesting. What I had thought and planned for, God had different plans. And in that, as we were displaced, like in verse 7, and there they preached the good news. And then we went out and we recorded in the parking structure behind South. Because we're like, we want to be around. And that was a wild experience. I, I can't say that it's my favorite thing to record just to a camera and a tripod and two people there. Most of them, like usually it was two people. One video person, one audio person. And they weren't even really listening to me. They were making sure it looked okay and it sounded good. And so I'd like tell some sort of engaging whatever. And they just kind of go... That's not great for your ego. You're like, what do I have to do? But what was crazy about that is that as we were recording on this parking structure, we actually had people that would be sitting, running the track, or sitting in the bleachers, listening. And there they preached the good news. I didn't plan for us. I didn't have some master plan of being at the south parking structure, and yet it became an opportunity. Or more recently, we've been at the German Canadian Club for a, a little while. It's hard to remember how long because it all just blends together. But we've been here and I got notice uh, in November, very, very short notice that we would be bumped, that we would not be able to gather in here for a couple of weeks. And so we were displaced from our gathering here and we met instead at Fairmont United Church. And again, like verse 7, and there they preached the good news. I am so proud of our team. I, I want to brag on our team who at every single turn and every single moment, even when I was going, why is this happening? This sucks. I don't want this. The team continues to go, this is an opportunity. We've been scattered and we can actually go and preach the good news wherever we go. Why is this so important? Because there are people that do not know about Jesus, and we want to do something about it. That our DNA is we want to reach people who aren't yet being reached. This is why we want to plant new churches. Tim Keller says this, a vigorous and continuous approach to church planting is the only way to guarantee an increase in the number of believers and is one of the best ways to renew the whole body of Christ. We believe this. This is important. One of the ways that we, we live this out is we give 10% of our budget away to church planting in Canada. Every single bit of that 10% goes to new churches being planted across Canada. And I think since we've started, there's been half a dozen churches that have been planted as a result of that 
giving as a result of the generosity of collective. But we don't just want to see other people planting churches across Canada. We also want to plant churches here and out of this church. There's a ton of data that talks about the kind of five-year window that if a church can multiply in the first five years, that the rate of multiplication is uh, exponential. But if a church can't multiply within five years, it becomes increasingly more difficult to ever multiply, and it becomes easier to just kind of think about this little thing that we're building. I want us to be a church that plants more churches. I want to make sure that in the first five years that we are multiplying collective. And more than that, we're multiplying disciples who make disciples in other areas. And I had a picture of what that would look like. I had a a picture of this is what it would look like for us to plant more churches. But like I mentioned, God has this way of going, yeah, I know you have a thing that you want to do, but I actually have something else I want to do. And so God has been shifting my paradigm. God has used COVID powerfully for Lee and I to shift our thinking in what that might look like. And it's different than what we experienced. When we planted, we planted with a, a, a group of people and with resources. We wanted to plant a little bit larger and well-funded so that we could be self-sufficient. Self-sufficient means that we were not relying on any external funding, that it was, it was all the generosity of the community. And by God's unbelievable grace through the pandemic, we've been able to do that. We, we've been able to be self-sufficient since day one. That's abnormal. If you know anything about church planning, that's not normal. But that's been a huge gift for us. And so in your mind, in my mind, I kind of had a picture of, okay, we can do some of what we already did. We have this picture of what we've done, and we can try that again. But then with COVID, all of that shifted. And you went, and the, the thing that for me I kept thinking about is, is that still the best way to do things? Is that still the most effective way? Can that actually work for us, or is there a better way? I mentioned last week that COVID has accelerated a lot of things. It's accelerated some good things and some bad things. And when it comes to multiplication and planting, I do think that that COVID has accelerated some of my thinking and looking at opportunities that we can step into. I believe that the fact that we are nimble and flexible is a massive gift for us in the future. It's a massive gift for us in the present. The the idea that we can flex and our team is highly adaptable is a massive opportunity. So I I mentioned about us getting getting bumped out of the German-Canadian club. And I want to unpack that as a bit of a paradigm shifter for me. So we were in November and I got notice on, I think it was a Monday or Tuesday, that that Sunday we would not be able to gather for two weeks. I would love to tell you that I sat at home and went, Lord Jesus, you are in control. I trust you. You've got this. But the truth is, I panicked and I was stressing and I I was just on the verge of pooping my pants pretty much all of the time. That's too much information. I'm sorry. You won't like me very much. But I was constantly just going, how's this going to work? What am I going to do? And then I was hunting. Like, I went into full hustle mode. I was like, I'm going to call up every place 
and, and I had a bunch of people on the team that were constantly looking and going, can we find anything, can we find anything, can we find anything? And what happened is that we actually got to live out this verse 7, and there they preached the good news. With less than a week's notice, we moved across the city, so from where we are to, to east, far east, and we met at Fairmont United Church. Okay, with less than a week's notice, we switched service times. We went to one service. We had never, we had never set up in that space. We had never done kids there. We were going, we are not sure what we're doing, but at least we can gather. At least, even though we are scattered, at least there, there might be something that could happen. And, and truthfully, I was like, I don't know what to expect. Like, less than a week's notice, we tried our best to communicate as best as we could. But what I loved is what undergirded that is this group of team that are like, we're going to figure this out. We've got this. this. This is fine. This is not a big deal. And as a result of that move, one that I did not plan for, one that I was not excited about, we saw a significant influx of new people. People that we would not have engaged while we were here. We got to engage different people. We saw more kids than we've seen since COVID. This massive influx of families and people in the community. We had, the second week we were there, we had a, a family or a couple that, that went, we saw your flags last week and came this week. So this reminder for me that God does not really want to do things the way that is the most comfortable for Tyler, but God actually wants to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, is not a theoretical idea, it was lived out in those two weeks. It was a reminder that, that God is at work. And even when we face challenges or when we face things that do not make sense, that God is able to use it and engage people. And this whole idea and everything that happened in Fairmont has been a little bit like a, a fly buzzing in my ear. For Lee and I both just, just challenging our paradigm and our thinking. And it's began to, to shape and form ideas for Lee and I as we sit there and go, what, what did that look like? What did we learn? What is God saying through all of that? Began to cause us to think, what if, what if God actually used this moving to teach us something significant? And so here's the thing that we have been wrestling with. What if instead of doing that reactively, we did it strategically? Our eyes are being open to all of the possibilities and opportunities for us to think about how to continue to multiply as a church. Our eyes have been open and going, okay, if we're not just waiting until we get bumped and moved, what would it look like for us to think about investing in different areas or trying in different areas and seeing who's in the community and is there a need and is God maybe driving us or drawing us into multiplying and starting something there. So on the screen, you'll see a graphic. I don't normally use graphics, but... <laughs> on the screen, you will not see a graphic. I made a, a good graphic, too. It's like... When you're a graphic designer, those are the things that you care about. I'll explain it. So uh, I, if, if you were to look at the graphic, use your imagination. 
I, I want you to think about at the top something that we're calling collective headquarters, and below that, one Cove Road, which is our, where we are right now, and then beside that, pop-up churches, and as an extension of that, micro-churches. So I, I want you to think about those things, collective headquarters, pop-up churches, and micro-churches. Now, you might have heard that and go like, I, I don't know what that is. Do we have? No. But you might, you might hear that pop-up church and go, I don't know what that is. Okay, this is something that's, that's been forming for Lee and I that we're, that we're exploring, going, a pop-up church would be a church that meets infrequently. It's not all the time. It's not like every single Sunday it meets. Maybe it would be that we try it once in a quarter and we see what happens and maybe with that we begin to increase it or we try it somewhere else. This would give us an opportunity to try and test out certain areas in London especially and beyond where we go, maybe God's inviting us into these spaces. Maybe God's asking us to, to think about what it would look like to multiply in a specific area. It would give us an opportunity to test the waters and consider, is God leading us into a consistent presence in that area? See, we continue to look at areas in London and beyond, and it would give us a chance to look at those areas and consider, okay, God, are you asking us to, to try a pop-up here? Are you asking us to, to go into this place and then determine if God is leading us there? So for example, because maybe you hear that and without the graphic too, maybe you're a visual, so picture it. Was it there? Yes! Look at that. Thank you, tech team. You're amazing. I love you. If you can see me, you're the greatest. Um, so I, I want you to imagine, like maybe we look at London, and I, I'm giving all the examples, So because there's, there's not one right now that we go, this is clearly it, but it's, it's forming. Maybe God would draw our heart to North London or East London or West London. Maybe there would be something there that we're going, I, I'm sensing like maybe that there's some opportunity, and we begin to look at our group of our database and go, okay, we have some people that are living in that area. What would it look like for us to begin to develop strategic relationships in that place? What would it look like for us to begin to, to shape the beginnings of some sort of community and then to find a space that we can pop up and, and try doing something that we could build towards and create some momentum around that we could try and go, okay, God, are you inviting us to do something more here? Are you inviting us in this space? It's a little bit of us stepping out and taking steps of faith and letting God determine the next steps. But this also allows us to be highly adaptable and flexible as we try, test, and experiment. I don't want to suggest this as an idea that you go, so this is for sure what's going to happen. It's going to look exactly like that. I want to suggest to you that this is a possible place that we could start at of going, I think maybe God's inviting us to think through that. And God is inviting us to actually look at what that might look like. And from there, these pop-up churches could develop into micro-churches, smaller gatherings, I don't know if you've noticed this, but with COVID, people are really okay with smaller gatherings. It, most churches, like I was around a table with a bunch of pastors of a lot of different sizes of churches. 
if churches are big, they're seeing significantly lower percentage returning in person. When churches are small and nimble, they're seeing a significant, significant increase of people that come back. We have an opportunity here. We have an opportunity to actually lean into that to go, would it be possible that maybe God is inviting us to think smaller and more strategic so that we can be nimble and continue to reach people? This, this idea of even a micro church, it would be a streamlined gathering. It would not be everything that we do, but it'd be really built around building relationships and strategic presence in that community. It would allow us to begin to strategically develop in the communities that we want to invest in. We have people for, from Collective that drive significant distances every single week. And that's been a part of our story for two years, where there are people that are driving significant lengths to get here. What would it look like for us to begin to look at how do we create pockets of missional community, of collective churches, gospel-focused churches in areas that allow us to engage our community better? Not just one community, but many communities. What would it look like for us to actually reach our city and region more strategically, and not just because we're coming with the cruise ship showing up and going, look how big and impressive we are, but instead because it's made full of disciples making disciples who are strategically positioned on purpose for a purpose. What would it look like for us to begin to explore that? To partner with God as he is inviting us to plant our roots in other areas. For Lee and I, this is something that we believe that God is inviting us to take steps towards and try. That we believe that he's inviting us to go, what would it look like to prayerfully consider what, where we could pop up a church and develop strategically a community that would develop from there of disciples making disciples. As we start the new year, one of the things that we want to do as a church is we want to do a 40-day fast. Now, that's not like 40 days of fasting, just water, unless God asks you to. Maybe for some of you, it's Daniel fast, or it's fasting a specific kind of food. But because, like, when I say that I want God to build his church, I'm not saying that because it sounds nice. I'm not saying that because actually secretly I go, I just want to do my own thing, but I'm supposed to say that. I really believe that. And so even as we enter into 2022, I want us to go, God, what are you doing? We want to go with you. We want to be guided by you. It's important that we understand that disciple, that multiplication is in our DNA. It needs to be in our DNA, that we need to be disciples who make disciples. It's why I started with the message last week, and if you missed it, you should listen to it again. Our, our commitment to making disciples has to fuel any growth. We do not want growth for the sake of growth. I am not interested in building this massive church and monument to a bunch of people. I am far more interested in a contingent of people that are actually following Jesus in their communities and finding other people finding Jesus because of that. I am way more interested in doing our part to put a dent in the 100,000 people that don't yet know Jesus. Not just going, if we could just build something big enough, then we'd feel valuable. Then we'd feel like we made it. I do not care about that at all. We want to be the kind of church that is continuing to think about others that are not yet being reached. Now, just let me just be, lay cards on the table. 
when I'm presenting any of this, I'm equal parts terrified and excited. Like, I, when we planted Collective, oh man, I was like, I had panic attacks all the time. I, it, this, this is the tension. This is the beautiful tension. I, I'm, for me, I've just kind of, I'm embracing that God is inviting me into that I'll have these panic attacks going, will this work? And also this tremendous trust that God is calling us to do it. I, I feel that with this. Because here's the truth. We aren't ready for this. It's not like we look around and go, we're perfectly positioned to do this. We can, we can do this tomorrow. We aren't. But that's why it's important that I, I'm laying out this vision that I believe that God is inviting us into. Because it's not, vision is not about what currently exists. Vision is about painting a picture of a, a future and beginning to go, what would it look like to move towards that? But if you, when you're hearing any of this, feel equal parts excited and nervous, good. We can do it together. We can feel all of that together. I'm not presenting this to you going, we're going to do this tomorrow. I'm saying to you, I think that God is inviting us into a strategic moment that we were not expecting and I do not want to miss. What would it look like for us to think about pop-up churches and micro-churches and consider, God, where do you want us to continue to reach people? If planting new churches is significant in evangelizing and reaching people and discipling people, then we want to do that. So we want to be a church that is multiplying and planting. And one of the more tangible things and steps that we're taking toward that is we want to develop, and on that graphic, can you, Collective HQ, we want to develop a collective headquarters. We want to find a space. So this is what we're actively doing right now. So you can be praying with us. We're actively looking for a space that has a hybrid. It's a, 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 some office spaces and some warehouse space that we can create as a, as a midweek kind of sending point. This would not be for gathering on a Sunday because here's what we've noticed. We've noticed that we need far more space than we expected. And so we're going, we're rethinking. Okay, so what would it look like for us to find a headquarters, a space that could be a bit of a hub for us as we think about planting in other places and as we do ministry. And so here's what we're, here's what we're picturing, that this collective headquarters would be a place where we can actually do leadership development or smaller gatherings, or we can gather the team together, where we can run things like Alpha, if we need to do a, a larger gathering, or we can run some courses, where we can create a space that we actually are taking some ground ourselves, some sort of stability. We have been fully portable for two years. And if God asks us to be portable forever, I'm good with it, I think. Because <laughs> I've got my, I've got my 23-year-old truck pulling that trailer that lives in our driveway. But what would it look like for us to have a strategic location in London where we go, we could operate out of that? We want to have a warehouse space because we imagine being in different locations and so we can work on some of our systems and some of our setup in that space. We want to find a space that we go, this is ours. And not as a space to go, we made it as a space to send people to be thinking about where else is God asking? How do we equip and empower? We're excited about what this will look like and we'll keep you posted on as soon as we find something we are 
frantically in a healthy way looking for something that is a good fit for us and allows us some room to grow into. Here's the thing, when I, when I talk about this collective headquarters, or I talk about pop-up church, or I talk about micro-church, we, you as the church, get to determine the speed with which that happens. Like, I can lay out things and go, this is what we're, Lee and I are sensing God's leading us to, but ultimately it's the people that's, that determine the pace. Like, we can say all that stuff, and if people go, yeah, I don't really want to do that, guess what? It will not happen. If people go, uh, you know what, I, I'm not sure, or I want to go there, but really slowly, then it'll happen slowly. And if that's what happens, I'm okay with that. I want us just to continually be thinking about what it looks like to multiply. But it's this reminder for us that we want you to know that you have ownership in this. This is not just about a couple of people saying, this is what we're going to do. This is about all of us working together at Collective this ownership piece is a significant part of who we are. We do not just want a group of spectators. We want people that are on mission, making disciples who make disciples. We want to create opportunities for more people to lead, more people to grow, more people to multiply. We want to be the church. We do not just want to do church. And I've said it before, and I will continue to beat the drum. When the early church reached people, it was because of ordinary people explaining their lives to people that didn't know it. Ordinary people giving and sacrificing and going. Ordinary people being the church. And I look back at elements of the early church and how it spread, and I went, there's some things that we can learn from that. There's some opportunities that we have to think about being more and more nimble and also more effective. But you are an integral part of that if you call collective home. Like for example, when I talk about this collective headquarters, we're able to do that because of the generosity of our people. We're able to find a space and actually go, okay, we can afford to, deter to add this lease into our budget. We can do that because of the, the generosity of our people. And as a result of that, begin to prayerfully consider, God, where are you leading us to next? Where are you guiding us to Next, God invites us forward and we get to set the pace of where that happens. But here's the thing. Wherever God leads us to and wherever we go as a church, whatever our next step looks like, whatever our hundredth steps look like, I still want verse 7 to be true. And there they preached the good news. Everywhere we go, everywhere we find ourselves planted, everywhere we find ourselves positioned, everywhere God gives us influence or relationship or opportunity, and there we want to preach the good news. If you're in the room or you're watching online and you'd go, I don't even know what the good news is. Like when you talk about that, the good news, I want to let you know that you, if you do not have a relationship with God through Jesus, that that your sin, your brokenness separates you. And you will spend your whole life searching for something to fill that void. You'll go, if I can just get enough money, do enough stuff, then I'll feel valuable. Then I'll feel like enough. But that ache in you is this desperate ache for a relationship with your heavenly father. And Jesus came and lived a perfect life, a kind of life you could never live, and then paid the price on that cross, died for us. But three days later, he rose again to restore us back to relationship with 
God? And what is God inviting you to do? What is your part that God is inviting you to play as God is leading us as a church? Is it to serve? Is it to give? Is it to go? Is it to make disciples in your daily life? What's the invitation? Because listen, if you listen to me and hear whatever ideas and go, oh, that sounds nice, but don't do anything with it, it's incomplete. But if you listen to me and don't actually ask God what he wants you to do, it's incomplete. What would it look like for us to be a community that going, God, I just want to do what you want me to do. So my invitation would be to invite God in this moment. God, what do you want to say? So I want to actually do that in a a practical sense. Would you close your eyes and put out your hands, if you feel comfortable, in a posture of receiving? God, I pray for each one of us that you would give us what we need to continue to reach people. God, I pray that that you would encourage vision and clarity in what you want to do as you build your church. And so whatever you're inviting each one of us into, God, help us to have the courage to do that. Whether it's to give or to serve or to go or simply to begin to be a disciple that makes disciples. God, we want that. God, I pray that you would move so powerfully in our midst that none of us could take credit for it. That in this season that you would would see the scattering as we face challenges and, and unforeseen circumstances and you would use it to advance your kingdom for your glory and your good. God, we love you and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you Sunday.